0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Powerful Prayer. All right, so sometime after the day of Pentecost, by way of review, you remember this? Peter and John went up to the temple for that time of prayer, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And as they're walking towards the beautiful gate, the eastern gate there in the temple... There's this man who's been crippled for over 40 years. And he's sitting there. He's been sitting there every single day, probably for years. He's sitting there, a lame beggar, and he's asking for alms. And so Peter and John are walking up to the temple for the time of prayer. There he is. He asks for um, a handout. And Peter says, well, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. He takes the guy's hand he begins to lift him up. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately, as the guy's being lifted up, God the Spirit comes and gives strength, wholeness, healing to his feet and his ankles. And he can't believe it. He starts walking. He starts running. He starts leaping, dancing, and praising the Lord. A genuine miracle in the name of Jesus, took place 2,000 years ago through the apostle Peter. And after that, of course, a crowd gathered. They all knew this is the lame beggar. You could not refute this miracle. He's been sitting there for years, (laughs) begging. He can't walk for his whole life. And now he's running. And so, of course, a crowd gathers when something like that happens. And Peter took advantage of it, and he preached a powerful sermon that was all about Christ, and so he shared about the Savior and how he died and rose again. He shared about sinners, people in the crowd who needed to turn from their sin and turn to Christ and repentance and faith, and that message by Peter that day got both him and John into some very hot water. The Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the same people who condemned Jesus to death three months earlier, they sent the temple police They arrested Peter and John. They threw them in prison overnight. And the next day, Peter and John had to appear before the mighty Sanhedrin, 71 most powerful men in Israel at that day. And you would have thought that Peter and John would have been shaking in their boots. But just the opposite, Peter was bold as a lion. God came and God strengthened him and filled him with the Spirit once again. And Peter gave this strong, amazing defense of the Christian faith. And it ended in these words, okay? So by way of review, we're gonna read verses 10 through 12, which were the last three verses from last weekend. And so right now, if you're looking at Acts 4, verse 10, say amen. Amen. Peter, talking to these uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, says this. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of, you guys shout out his name, go ahead. Jesus Christ Christ of Nazareth, name above all names. Don't ever be embarrassed of that name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, Psalm 118, verse 22. And there is salvation in no one else. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the message that our culture despises because our culture wants to say that all roads lead to heaven. We all just need to, Respect everybody's religion. Listen, I, I respect people. People are made in the image of God. I love all people, I respect all people. I cannot respect the religion that denies that Jesus is the son of God and that he didn't die, he didn't rise again. And so there is, here it is, this is not Mike Wiggins, this is God's word. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must Be saved. Two types of people in the world. Saved and lost. Which group are you in? And so now we pick it up today in verse 13. When they, the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated. Come on, give me a break. I'll come back to that and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, you know, hicks from Galilee, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with who? Jesus. Okay, and so I gotta ask you this question. Were Peter and John really uneducated? And and the answer to that question is, have you ever read their written works in the New Testament? Have you ever read the Gospel of John? Nothing like it. Have you ever read his three little letters at the end of the New Testament? Have you ever read the book of Revelation, which we went through as a church all the way through two years ago? There's nothing like it. Of course, John was not uneducated. He may have been common, but he wasn't uneducated. Peter, uneducated? Give me a break. Have you ever read his sermons in the book of Acts? We've already gone through, I think, two of them. Amazing. Have you ever read his two letters at the end of the New Testament? Absolutely amazing. And so no, they were not uneducated. In fact, concerning the education that they received, Chuck Swindoll says this. As Jews, they had learned how to read and write Hebrew in the what? The synagogues. Memorized scripture and knew the history of Israel as well as anyone. But... They were not formally trained in higher education to debate theology and discuss philosophy like the Sadducees. And so what you guys need to know is that virtually all, if not all, Jewish children in the first century there in Judah or Galilee, all the kids went to synagogue school. If you're in a village and that village has at least 10 Jews, they started a synagogue. And the synagogue was a place of worship on Saturday. And then it was a courthouse during the week. And it was a school during the week. And so the Jewish kids would go to synagogue school. They would learn to read. They would learn to write. They would learn Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And they would also learn to reason and speak. And so what you need to know is, of course, Peter and John were educated men. By the way, I think it's such a blessing when children get to go to a school in their community that honors God. That's faith-based, where they can learn about God and his word at the same time they're learning to read, write, do arithmetic, and study all of their subjects. You knew I had to throw that in based upon what we're doing across the street, but it is a blessing. And so, of course, Peter and John received an education in their synagogue school growing up. The problem was the Sanhedrin knew that they didn't go to their official rabbinical schools later on in life after the synagogue school education was over. In other words, Peter and John didn't, you know, as they got older, follow Rabbi so and so, a Hebrew scholar, and follow that guy around, or they didn't go to their official rabbinical schools down in Jerusalem. And because of that, because they weren't formally trained in theology, the snobby, self-righteous Sanhedrin said, these guys are uneducated, common men. But how many of you guys know that even though Peter and John didn't go to the rabbinical schools, they got to experience something better? Did you see it in verse 13? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These guys, so much better than following some rabbi. They got to be personally mentored by a man who was more than a rabbi. They got to be personally mentored by the Messiah. And for three years, they got to follow Jesus around and hear his teachings and watch his life. And Jesus rubbed off on them to the point, it changed their speech and it changed the way they behaved. It changed their speech. Kind of like if you were to move, let's say, to certain parts of Tennessee in the mountains. The longer you live there, the more you start to sound like the people around you. Hey, y'all got any sweet tea, right? (laughs) And it's the same thing with Peter and John. They've been around Jesus for three years. And so the Sanhedrin knows these guys, they've been with Jesus. Now, the Sanhedrin was in a pickle, They didn't like all this talk about Jesus being the Christ, Jesus being the Messiah, but really what are they gonna do? Because standing next to Peter and John, remember this guy? Is the lame beggar and he's no longer lame and he's no longer a beggar. And everybody in Jerusalem knows this guy has been healed. And so what's the Sanhedrin gonna do? And that leads us to our next verse. Look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Everybody please look at me. Ladies and gentlemen, people can debate theology with you all day long, but you know what they can't argue against? They can't argue against your changed life. If you really are saved, here's what I know. Christ is changing you. And maybe you used to be a drunkard. Maybe you used to be on drugs. Maybe you used to be a womanizer. Maybe you used to be that mean guy who bites people's heads off, but you met Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection changed your life. And now you're different and no one can say anything in opposition to your changed life. That's good news, right? Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave, okay, Peter, John, get out of the courtroom. When they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, verse 16, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. We can't deny the lame beggar wasn't lame. He's been lame for over 40 years. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, but in order that it, Christianity, may spread no further among the people. Do you see the devil's plan right there? He does not like what we're doing. He does not like Christianity and he doesn't want it to spread to the people. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter, John, never, ever, ever mention that name ever again. Now, how do you think the apostles are going to respond to this, right? Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, okay. Is that what they said? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. What did Peter and John just do? They engaged in civil disobedience. Did you know that not all civil disobedience is wrong? sometimes civil disobedience is absolutely right. But because this message is all about prayer or mostly about prayer, I ran out of time and had to take a bunch of my notes out. But the good news is we're gonna revisit the same topic in chapter five. And so in chapter five, when we get there, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, we'll hit the pause button and we'll talk about civil disobedience and when it's right and when it's wrong. All right, verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, you know, by golly, if you speak in his name, you're in trouble, right? They let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because of the people. For how many people were praising God? (laughs) All we're praising God for what had happened for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So the Sanhedrin would have loved to throw Peter and John in prison and throw away the key after they ripped their shirts, their robes off and beat them in, uh, 40 times in the back, you know, with a, with a whip. They would have loved to punish the disciples right then and there. But there was a problem. This whole healing message is spread across Jerusalem and everybody outside the courtroom is rejoicing because God has showed up and God has done a sign. God has done a miracle in the name of Jesus, right? And so what did the Sanhedrin do? They did what many politicians do. Which way is the wind blowing? Oh, if we punish them, the people are not gonna like us anymore. You guys can go. And so that's where we are right now. And now we pick it up In verse 23, when they were released, they went to their, please note this, friends. Everybody say friends. Friends. This is so cool. They just went through a very difficult experience, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, something that can really shake your world. They got arrested, they got thrown in prison, they had to stand before 71 very intimidating, angry men who could have done whatever they wanted to do with them. And so they just went through a very negative situation. And what did they do? They went to their friends. They didn't go to the lounge. They went to their life group. You see, when you go through a difficult time and you have a difficult week, you need to go to your life group during the week. Those eight to 12 people who know you by name who pray for you and minister to you, and you pray for them and minister to them. You say, pastor, you you talk about life groups, I think, every single weekend. Yep, and I'm gonna keep doing it until you join your group. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, your your flesh won't feel like it. You'll be like, I'm tired. I worked eight or nine or 10 hours. I just wanna plop down on the couch and turn the TV on. I don't wanna go to life group. But I, I tell you, when you go, and you're there around your brothers and sisters for a couple hours, you leave and you think, wow, I am so glad I went. And so 41%, I just got this um, news last Tuesday during staff meeting, 41% of our adults are involved in life groups. I think the national average is between 30 and 40%. So we're a little above the curve, but we got a long way to go. And so if you're not in a group, sign up for a group, go to our next steps area, go to our website, click on next steps, click on life groups and join a group. Go to your friends. And they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Look at verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. Okay, and so now from here all the way to verse 30, there's this powerful prayer that they lift up to the Lord. We're gonna read the whole thing. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and now they quote Psalm 2. Everybody look at me. They did not pull out a scroll and began to read Psalm 2. They just quoted it in their prayer. Why? Because they learned the scriptures in their synagogue school when they were kids growing up. And they began to quote this to God Psalm chapter two, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. There's another little uh, reminder that the Bible is not man's word, it's God's word. David, 1000 BC, wrote many of the Psalms. He didn't write David's words. He was moved along by the Spirit of God. If you're going through a hard time, the best thing to do is not go to Barnes and Noble and get a book on how to overcome depression. The best thing you can do is fall down on your knees and open the book of Psalms and begin to read God's word in his presence. It's God's word. He can change things. And so, why did the Gentiles rage? They're quoting Psalm two. And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And I encourage you later to read all of Psalm chapter two, which has its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever, this is interesting, Your hand, God, not their hand, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. See, God's the healer, not man. While you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, so prayer's over, but look how powerful this prayer is in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled, I should say again, (laughs) they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay, so what we just read was a very powerful prayer. And so for the remainder of our time together, we're gonna go back and I'm going to lift out of this powerful prayer four principles that will help you and I to also pray with power, okay? And so if you're taking notes, when we look at this prayer, we see the disciples, number one, what did they do? They remembered God's splendor, his glory, his majesty. And so what should we do? 2,000 years later, we should follow their example. And when we go to pray, we should, number one, remember God's splendor. Ladies and gentlemen, here's here's what I'm gonna do for the next 15 or so minutes. I'm gonna share, this is as practical as the Bible gets. And if you'll get what I'm gonna say in the next 15 minutes, this has an opportunity to recharge and change your prayer life. And so if your mind's wandering right now about Outback or Olive Garden, come back to me, learn the word of God. I'm telling you, in the future, you're gonna face a trial. You're gonna get knocked on the ground. And if you're thinking about Olive Garden right now, you're not gonna know what to do. So I wanna help you, okay? Number one, remember God's splendor. Please note, these disciples did not start their prayer by saying, God, please give me this and this and this and please do that, that, and the other thing. They did not start their prayer with a list of requests. They started their prayer with worship. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And so when the Jews in Old Testament times entered through the gates of the temple, what did they do? They entered with thanksgiving. And when they walked on those courts, they did so with praise. They had attitudes of gratitude they had hearts filled with worship and so i want to challenge you when you have your daily prayer time and for some of you there's the challenge right there have a daily prayer time no wonder you're defeated discouraged all beat up you're not praying you're not connecting with the lord you need to connect with the lord and so here's what you do. When you have your daily prayer time, don't start with a list of requests. God, I need this and this and this and this and this. No, no. I challenge you when you have your daily prayer time, begin with praise and worship. That's exactly what these people did right here. Now, did they tell God in verse 24, you're the you know, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Did they tell him that because he forgot? <laughs> Did they tell him that because they needed to inform him? Look at verse 24 again. Did they say to the Lord, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. When they said that, was there a voice from heaven saying, I am the sovereign Lord. I did make heaven and earth and the sea. No. They didn't say what they said in verse 24 to remind God of who he is. They said what they said in verse 24 to remind themselves of who God is. Why? Because they needed that reminder right here and right now. Why? Because they had just been in a courtroom of the most powerful body In Israel, they had just stood before the mighty Sanhedrin. They just had a negative experience. They saw their 71 angry faces. They heard all of their threats. And if they weren't careful, the apostles could have allowed that negative situation to dominate their thoughts and change their disposition. But instead of that, they said, no, we're not going to fear mere mortal men. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And we're gonna start our prayer, not by focusing on our problem, but we're gonna start our prayer by focusing on the Lord." And then they started to worship God. Sovereign Lord, you're the one who created the countless galaxies across our vast universe. You're the one who created this earth with its mighty mountains and beautiful valleys. You're the one who created the deep blue sea with all the sea creatures inside of it. You're the creator. You're the sustainer of all things. Who are the Sanhedrin that we should be afraid of them? And as they began their prayer this way, the Sanhedrin, who could have looked like 71 roaring lions, rah, turned into 71 little kittens. See how that works? I'm trying to help you. Because you're going through a negative situation, you're rehearsing it, cursing it, nursing it. You're all freaked out, worried, and afraid. And that thing is dominating your thoughts and changing your disposition. No, 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 no. Follow the example of the disciples. As they started their prayer in worship, what happened? These 71 members of the Sanhedrin, instead of looking like big pit bulls, they looked like little chihuahuas nipping at their feet. And so are you facing a difficulty? Is it dominating your thoughts? Is it changing your disposition for the negative? If you follow this example, if you start your worship and prayer time every day in praise, God, all of a sudden, becomes who he already is in your mind, really big. And the bigger God is in your mind, the smaller your situation becomes. This is the principle that we see right here in the Word of God. And so this is the example that we have to follow. Here's what you do. You pick a Psalm. Okay, so you're ready to start praying. So maybe you're you're gonna pray in the morning, maybe you're gonna pray at night, whatever it is, instead of going to your prayer list, no, 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 and you pick a Psalm and you begin to read the Psalm to God in prayer. Praise the Lord. There's 150 of them in the Bible there. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth? That's what you do. You pick a psalm and you start your prayer with a psalm. And then you go and you grab your Spotify or whatever you use and you pick your worship song whatever style you like doesn't matter as long as the lyrics are are correct praise God and then you pick that song and you put your headphones on and you begin to just worship and praise the Lord I did it this morning and I sensed God's presence all over my living room this morning why because God is a, is real and he's a great God Pick a song Pick a Psalm, read it back to the Lord. Pick a song, sing it back to the Lord. Google on uh, gotquestions.org. what are the names of God? They got a long list of names of God and all the names depict a certain aspect of his character. Memorize them and begin to say God's names. Why? To inform him? No, he already knows his names. To inform you and encourage your faith. And so, When we consider this powerful prayer, we see the disciples, number one, remembered God's splendor, but number two, they rehearsed God's scriptures. So what should we do in our prayer? Well, if you wanna have a weak prayer, just keep going down your prayer list and pray in fear. But if you wanna have a powerful prayer, rehearse God's scriptures in your prayer. What did they do? They quoted Psalm 2 which is, has its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You can read the Psalm later. And so he, here's what they did. If you're with me, say amen. They saw their situation in the light of scripture. They just went through a negative situation with the Sanhedrin. They remembered Pontius Pilate. They remembered Herod. They remembered the Sanhedrin and how they persecuted Jesus. They tied that together with Psalm chapter two, and they began to see their situation in the light of scripture. And they rehearsed that scripture back to the Lord, not pulling out a scroll and reading it, but just because they had hidden God's word in their hearts. We can do the same thing. If you're going through a difficulty while you're praying, just say, ah, Lord God, You've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm and nothing is too hard for you. So I refuse to have fear right now. I'm putting my faith in you. That's Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. If you're going through your week and you begin to doubt your salvation, how many of you guys know we have an enemy? How many of you know he's always trying to get us to doubt that we're saved? Here's what you do. You take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and you go to prayer and you say, Lord Jesus, you're the one who said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so Lord, even though I don't feel saved right now, I don't stand on my feelings, I stand on your promise. You're a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Therefore I am saved. We see our situation in the light of Scripture. You're dealing with a difficult person. God, your Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies. This is hard. But you said love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the sons and daughters of God. And so, Lord, give me the strength to do that. You're struggling with lust. Say, Lord, I I joined Job 4,000 years ago. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And so, God, you gave Job power 4,000 years ago. Give me power today. I know you're still alive. Help me to honor you and honor my wife by not looking lustfully upon a young woman. I make a covenant with my eyes. That's Job chapter 31, verse 1. See your situation in the light of Scripture. You're bitter against somebody. Lord, I know you said, if I forgive others, you'll forgive me. But you also said, if I don't forgive others, you won't forgive me. And so I forgive this person. Release me from this prison of bitterness. That's Matthew 6, 14 and 15. I could go on and on and on all day. But the thing is, you got to rehearse the scriptures. Now, if you're gonna rehearse the scriptures in prayer, you gotta know the scriptures. If you're never in the word, and that's the way the Bible stays all week long in your house, you have not hidden God's word in your heart. But the Psalmist said, I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So get in the word and you'll see weeks, months, years, the word of God flows as you pray. And so as we consider this powerful prayer, we see the disciples, number one, remembered God's splendor. Two, rehearsed God's scriptures. Three, recognized God's sovereignty. Okay, look at verse 27. For truly in this city, Lord, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, he's a big shot, Pontius Pilate, he's a big shot, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, the Sanhedrin, they're all big shots. But check this out in verse 28. To do whatever your hand, Lord, (laughs) and your plan had, what's the word? Everybody say predestined. Had predestined to take place. And so Israel's leaders, the Sanhedrin, as well as Rome's leaders, Herod and Pilate, they persecuted and they killed the Christ. But you need to know that what they did was predetermined before the creation of the world. Did you guys know this? And so make no mistake, they acted according to their free will and they were held responsible ultimately for their evil actions. But here's the good news, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And God works everything together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And so why did God allow his son to be crucified on a cross to bring about our salvation? All part of his predetermined plan. And so the disciples were not wringing their hands all worried, oh no, what are we gonna do? They killed Jesus and they almost killed Peter and John. No, they said, Lord, in faith, this is all part of your predestined plan. They weren't worried. Ladies and gentlemen, if God really is sovereign, and if you believe he's sovereign, say amen. Amen. If God really is in control, why do we worry? Almost 15 years ago, I remember God called me and my wife and our three daughters to come up here from Jupiter, Florida and plant a brand new church. And so what did we do? We got in the car and we came up here to Port St. Lucie. It was way up there in the woods somewhere from South Florida. We came up here and we went to all these different places looking for a place to rent, to have our weekend services. And every place we went to, guess what they said? No. And so we went to a Seventh-day Adventist church. I thought maybe they have Saturday night service. They would let us come on Sunday. didn't work out. We went to a daycare center. That didn't work out. I think we went to the Moose Lodge or the Elks Lodge or something like that, that didn't work out. We went to schools, everybody said no. We even went to a funeral home. <laughs> Can you imagine if we would have had our Sunday morning services in a funeral home? I don't know if I could preach knowing that there's a bunch of corpse, corpses in the back room, right, talk about a dead service, man. <laughs> How do you overcome that vibe? But of course, if if the apostle Paul or the apostle Peter were preaching in a funeral home, you know those dead bodies would be coming out of that back room. And you'd be saying, look, honey, the church is growing. The dead are coming back to life, wow. We went to a funeral home. And I'm so glad today, 15 years later, they said no. And I was discouraged. We went from place, 15 to 20 places. Everybody says, no, 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 no. So I went to, at the time, my boss, who by the way, is still my pastor. I consider him my pastor. He's still on the board of directors in this church, Pastor Dan Flord. I went to him all discouraged and I was like, Dan, nobody wants us in Port St. Lucie. And he just looked at me in classic Pastor Dan fashion. And he said, Mike, you think God's got this all figured out? He turned around and walked away. I wanted a hug (laughs) but he challenged my faith. And guess what? As I'm on earth going, dear God, nobody wants us in poor St. Lucie. What are we gonna do? Was God up in heaven saying, I don't know, Mike. I created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but I can't find you a building in poor St. (laughs) Lucie. Is that what God did? No. How many of you guys know where God guides? He always provides. Right? And so he provided the first place, and then the second place, and then the third place, and then this fourth place, beautiful two buildings. And not only that, a year later he provided the land across the street. And guess what he's doing now? He's providing again so we can build a Christian school and impact thousands of kids' lives. Praise God. Where God guides, God provides, you just need to have the faith and step out. Even when it doesn't make sense, you need to stop trying to make it all figured out and then I'll obey God. No, if he said go, go. go. And then when he shows up, you don't get the glory, he gets the glory. And that's the way our God works. And that's a wonderful thing. And so last point, as we look at this powerful prayer, number one, they remembered God's splendor. Two, they rehearsed God's scriptures. Three, they recognized God's sovereignty. Finally, they requested God's strength. This is so important. In, everybody say in. In the situation. Look at verse 29. And now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants A plane ticket out of town. (laughs) Is that what it says? (laughs) A camel ride out of town. No, 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 no. Look at their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I am so glad they did not ask God for deliverance from the trial. They asked God for strength in the trial. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with me all the way to the end. Why does God allow us to go through trials? Why does he keep us in trials, troubles, and tribulations? Here's why. That we may come forth as gold. Peter, later, writing to the diaspora, the Christians who were scattered about, said this. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, what is Peter doing here? He's painting a picture that's very familiar in the first century of an ancient goldsmith. And so, when a goldsmith wanted to make something beautiful like a gold ring or a gold bracelet, he would take that block of gold ore and he put it in a smelting furnace and he'd light the fire and he would let that thing heat up and then the next thing you know it begins to melt and the gold liquefies and all the impurities are burned away how or when does the goldsmith know that it's time to take the gold out of the furnace warren wearsby said, it has been said the Eastern goldsmith kept the metal in, everybody say in, in in the furnace until he could see his face reflected in it. And so when the goldsmith could see his face reflected in the liquefied gold, then he knew the impurities are gone and I can remove that gold and I can fashion something beautiful. What's the point? God is the goldsmith, worthy or. He wants to fashion something beautiful in your life. But here's what he's got to do. He sees all these impurities in me and you. And so what does he do? He puts us in the furnace. He turns up the heat. And don't be afraid. He's a loving father. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He never does that. He knows exactly how much and he lets the impurities in your life and my life melt away. And when does he take us out of that trial, that trouble, that tribulation? When he sees his face reflected in our lives. Trials over, test is done. If you want your faith to come forth as gold, if you want to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, Don't pray, God, get me out of this trial. Say, God, give me strength in this trial and I'll praise you no matter what happens. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, God's word is amazing and so practical for our lives. If we'll just be doers of the word and not hearers only, And so don't make the mistake, ladies and gentlemen, to say, oh, that's a nice sermon, then go home and forget it. Write down, by the way, I was very careful to do an alliterated outline. Did you notice all the R's and all the S's? That's the old Baptist coming out of me. I did that because I want you guys to memorize it and take it to your prayer time. And I'm telling you, you watch. You watch what God does in your life if you'll be doers of the word and not hearers only.